and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Uh, Rick, we've got uh, a, a lot of things developing today and, and over the course of this week. Of course, uh, the, the, the big political development, this dust-up over the president's uh, own nominee to the Supreme Court, apparently not happy with what the president has to say about judges. And apparently the president not on board with what his own nominee I, – I, I'm confused, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but some interesting developments. So we're going to be talking uh, in just a couple of minutes with one of the senators who uh, Neil Gorsuch stopped by to speak to today to find out what was really going on behind closed doors. And we're also going to be talking to Terry Moran, uh, our, our, our eminence uh, here at ABC News uh, on, on all things legal. Yeah, and the, the the court system in the spotlight right now. Of course, we're waiting on a decision from the Ninth Circuit uh, to, to to judge finally or the next step on the, along the way on the immigration order. And we've had a president who's increased the drumbeat, not just against the judiciary, but also making a public case. John, and, and you've been you've been there in the briefing room, and you've heard the words from the president. His message is to be afraid, uh, and he has said bluntly that we're less safe right now because the judge has stepped in. Uh, that uh, he has said that there are there are greater threats than even he. Really that he's learned a lot about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and there is a big public and private push to try to get that executive order uh, impacting uh, t- travel from, uh, from people from seven uh, predominantly Muslim countries from going into effect. Uh, and, and the court piece of this is all related to it because that's what prompted the criticism uh, of a judge and that's what prompted Judge Gorsuch to say that doesn't sit right with him. Okay, so before we put our legal hats on, let me just uh, bring up something that just happened today. Uh, Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, has had another briefing. Uh, it lasted, I think, about 32 minutes. Um, uh, I, I think about 31 of those was opening statement. I may be slightly off on the uh, on the time. Um, but he said something interesting. A little bit of news uh, came out of it. He said that Kellyanne Conway has been counseled by the White House. This is when he was asked about Kellyanne joking that people should go and uh, and buy Ivanka Trump's uh, product line. Uh, somebody asked about that. We've had people come out and say this violates uh, uh, ethics laws. Uh, she did this during the course of an interview in the White House briefing room. And Sean kind of curtly, without explaining, because this press secretary doesn't seem to like follow-up questions, we don't really know any more details, but he said that uh, Kellyanne had been counseled. Now, that's kind of interesting. For all that's happened over the first almost three weeks of the Trump presidency, that Kellyanne Conway is the one that gets counseled uh, over good, over really kind point. of a kind of a quip she made about Ivanka's product line. Of course, he didn't say what the counseling was, so we, we we're, we're left to our imagination. On good that. counsel, but, bad counsel. Yeah. It does. Advice. It, it seems like the the knuckles are wrapped there, and and, uh, and seems that way. Th- but that it, would be that would be the, the strong suggestion. But it, it has been another one of these dizzying weeks of news and of, of movement in so many different directions. And I think the the attack on on a judge and the, this whole thing with the judiciary, uh, the attack from the president on Nordstrom, which which sparked the the controversy over Ivanka Trump. You know, it, it strikes me that we're seeing the the flashy thing, the shiny object theory of politics play out on a on a very regular basis. And, and what's interesting also is that sometimes those shiny objects are actually very legitimate stories and need digging into in their own right. It's just that there's so many other things going on. And and Donald Trump uh, is able to exploit that environment. And, and because he is the central actor as the president of the United States and he is so active, he can take advantage of the fact that there just are so many different pieces of chaos going on at the same time. 
Okay, so let's let's just go through um, a little bit of what happened because again, the things are moving so fastly, we lose sight. I, I want to give a little bit of of insight because I was on the phone with uh, several senior White House officials over the over the past uh, twelve eighteen hours about this question of what exactly Neil Gorsuch said uh, and and what the White House knew about what he said. So Gorsuch has a meeting with Senator. Blumenthal of Connecticut. Blumenthal comes out after the meeting and says that Gorsuch told him that the attacks that Trump has made on judges are, quote, disheartening and demoralizing. This was a huge news flash because here, remember, this is the president's nominee for the highest court of the land using words like disheartening and demoralizing to describe what the president has said about the judicial branch. And, right. uh, you know, it seemed like this was great distance uh, and, and it, you know, was, was there something of a meltdown going on? What's going on? My immediate reaction, and I know, Rick, you had the same immediate reaction, was come on. This was the White House. There's no way the White House was surprised by this. Uh, this could only help Neil Gorsuch uh, in terms of his confirmation battle because it demonstrates in great big letters that he is independent and willing to say things that might upset the, even the person who appointed him, uh, to, to disagree, to stand against uh, the, the, the person that nominated him. And uh, so I, I got on the phone. I, one of the people I spoke to was Ron Bongean, who has been hired by the White House to work with Neil Gorsuch uh, through the confirmation process as his spokesperson. And, and Bongean immediately confirmed that what Blumenthal said was in fact true. Uh, that's exactly how it transpired, that, that, that this is what he said. I then talked to a couple of senior White House officials and I said, so is the White House surprised by this? And I was told emphatically no. Uh, in fact, it was suggested to me that they knew that this line of questioning would be coming, especially from Democratic uh, senators, that they knew the language, even the exact words that Gorsuch would use uh, in response um, the one question I couldn't get an answer to was whether or not the president of the United States himself was looped in on these discussions. And whether he was or he wasn't, it, it appears like he didn't have the same exact take with his tweet and then Sean Spicer trying to defend this, really splitting some hairs in suggesting that this wasn't a specific critique. It was more of a general one that wasn't how Senator Blumenthal represented it. It wasn't how Senator Sass, who also met with him, represented it. We'll talk to Steve Daines about that, uh, Senator Senator Daines. Uh, but, but I think the, the broader point that that you get at here, I think, is a very important one, that this is a, a unique, to my mind, political dust-up. Uh, and it's another one of these, wow, even for the age of Trump, this seems unusual to have the president of the United States lining up against his own pick for the Supreme Court. But the net impact is almost certainly good for Judge Gorsuch, and that makes it good for Donald Trump, because it looks like this 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 nomination that was already on a glide path to, to confirmation they have the yeah vote. maybe not 60 votes maybe, maybe they'd have but, to go neutral you know nuclear but but certainly it was going to was going to get enough votes to pass but now we have this guy who's asserting his own independence against yeah, and, the I, and I, I don't know i mean do, do you think it's going to actually sway any democratic votes do you think it actually changes any votes i i well we'll see how it plays out but i i could see a, a couple of red state senators saying this is not the time red to state go. democrats red, i'm sorry red, red state democrats saying this give, is give not me some the names time. Who, who do you think would be swayed by this oh i i could i could see joe manchin who's always been a favor of the uh, of the up or down vote i could see heidi heitkamp another westerner saying this is this is someone that's proven to have a little bit of, of independence, at least. And Can it get him to sixty? Can it get him to sixty votes? You know, we'll we'll see. I mean, I I I doubt that. I think that's hard to get to. But 
I, I, I think the I, I think the case for Court Gorsuch is is stronger than it was before he spoke out on this. And in fact, is he's going to have to speak out on this? Much more important is how he handles it in the confirmation hearings. The cameras are going to be on. How does he characterize it? You know that senators, the Democratic senators, are going to press him and say, well, "Was that a specific critique or not?" This is what the president said, your reaction. And, and he can fall back on generalities, but he could also undo some of, the, some of the goodwill he might have engendered through this. By all accounts, he seems like a, he's a brilliant guy, and he seems to be impressing a lot of senators in his, in his courtesy meetings. But this, is, this was a new wrinkle that I, I do think helps his case, and, and therefore and ultimately— Certainly doesn't hurt it. For all the noise, it, it helps yeah. Trump. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. the goal here, I mean, there's the one goal is, is, is getting his— I mean, arguably the most important thing he's done so far, the most lasting, long-lasting, you know, decision uh, would be codified if he gets this guy in the Supreme Court. Um, so before we, we, we have we – have, we're about to be joined by Senator Steve Daines of Montana who met with Gorsuch and also happened to be the presiding officer in the Senate who, uh, who silenced – uh, Elizabeth Warren during the uh, the debate over over sessions. Before we get to that, just a quick thing where where we started. The, I, I, I'm curious when you watch these White House briefings with Sean Spicer. Today we had a particularly contentious one. Um, what what do you, what do you have you ever seen anything? Quite, I mean, there's so much we haven't seen anything. You know, we, we could say I haven't seen anything like for about 20 different things so far in the first three weeks of, of Trump. But, right. but what, what, do you, what do you make of this uh, of these briefings? Well, they're combative, and they're not a lot of follow-up questions, as you mentioned. I, I, I think one thing to keep in mind is that the president of the United States is probably watching, and that's got to be on Sean Spicer's mind. And some of the, the, the combat is Trumpian. And uh, you know that's a ridiculous question. I'm going to move on. I've already asked it eight times. And those, those are formulations you can imagine the president of the United States using in a, in a similar format. And I think that's an important, important part of the audience. You know how he reacts to the fact that his White House press secretary is uh, is uh, played by Melissa McCarthy and an angry podium wielding Melissa McCarthy on Saturday Night Live is another story. And I think more broadly, the fact that you have staffers on the cover of Time Magazine and and the subject of flashy profiles right now, how does that register with the President of the United States when it's not done in, the, in, a, in an utterly flattering light? But I, I I think like so many other things with Donald Trump, they, these things are totally shocking and yet totally unsurprising. Because what else would you expect from this presidency? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's you come into that briefing room and it is packed because there's interest. There's such high interest in all things Trump, uh, and you see the White House press secretary come in, and he starts off with these long opening statements. They usually amount to reading paper that the White House has put out hours before. I mean, it's, it's not these are not big new announcements that that, that are happening, and then. You know, you go through a series of questions. You know, many to um, to write. You know, from 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 people in there with the conservative news organizations, which are totally fine. But 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 those those kind of dominate the uh, uh, the questions. And then he runs out, and and they're still like you know everybody still <laughs> hasn't gotten gotten questions. It's just Remarkable. it's yeah. it's it's it is it is interesting. Uh, but we've uh, but let's let, let's go to uh, you know get 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 a firsthand perspective on what exactly was going on. Uh, with uh, with with Senator uh, with Senator with, with, with these Senate meetings with uh, Neil Gorsuch. All right, joining us on the line is Senator Steve Daines from the great big state with a great big sky of uh, Montana. Thank you for joining us. Hey, good to be with you. 
Uh, one of my favorite states, by the way. So, hey, it's uh, mine too. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. Works out well. I can imagine. So, um, I, I, we got a lot to talk to you about, and Lord knows you were right there when, uh, when the famous Elizabeth Warren moment went down. But, but I actually want to start uh, with uh, with Neil Gorsuch, uh, who you met with today, as I, as I understand, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. He came by. We spent about an hour together here this morning. Okay, so you can help us understand because Rick and I are, are really confused. Uh, what is going on? I mean, when when we hear from Senator Blumenthal that uh, that, that Judge Gorsuch uh, was was not happy with the president's comments on uh, you know on, on judges attacking judges, when we hear that, we hear it immediately confirmed by Ron Bongean, who has been tasked by the White House to be the communications person for Judge Gorsuch while he's up there, while senior White House aides tell me the president, you know, nobody's upset here. We knew he was going to say it. And then we hear the president say that Senator Blumenthal misrepresented what Judge Gorsuch said. So you just met with Judge Gorsuch. What's going on? You know, I I did. And uh, so, first of all, Judge Gorsuch came into my office, and he's a fellow Westerner. He's a Colorado guy. I'm a Montanan. And I will tell you, he felt right at home when he saw all the beautiful landscapes of fly fishing and mountain climbing and spending time above 10,000 feet. And and I'll tell you, and this will relate to your question, he has, I I think, really good Western common sense. And uh, he brings that kind of set of values that, uh, that we hold dear out West as being a straight shooter. And I think the the discussion about what happened um, when he met with uh, Senator Blumenthal, you know what it tells me? It tells me, one, uh, this guy's honest. It also tells me that uh, he's an independent jurist. He's not afraid to say what he thinks. And all of us who believe in the separation of powers uh, and the Constitution, which uh, certainly Judge Gorsuch does, uh, here's maybe just a little small example of that, where he's not afraid to you know stand up and say what he thinks. And isn't that what we want in a Supreme Court justice? So I, I totally get that. I completely get that. And I can see why the judge saying what he did might even actually, uh, you know, help a few, uh, if there are any Democrats on the fence, uh, you know, come back over and say this is the kind of guy that can be truly independent and stand up even to the president that, that appointed him, that nominated him. But what, what I don't understand is why does the president come out and say that Senator Blumenthal misrepresented when Judge Gor- what Judge Gorsuch said, when clearly it's exactly what he said. I mean, that's what the, the, the White House staffer who's with him said what he said. That's what Senator Ben Sass said he told him uh, in, in, in a separate conversation. So what what's going on? How does the, the president come out? Is the president not aware <laughs> that, that the judge holds this view? Yeah, you know, I, I, I tell you, this didn't even come up in our conversation. Let's just say that when there are a lot of important issues facing our country, as I think about the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, federalism, the Tenth Amendment, uh, we literally had a lot of things to talk about. We didn't talk about who's tweeting what. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. Never went to law school. In fact, I'm the only chemical engineer in the Senate. So I, I, uh, I, I focused more on his philosophies, his view of the Constitution, his view going forward here around the uh, appropriate role of the federal government, uh, individual rights. That, that truly consumed. I mean, you, you can't imagine how fast the time flies when you oh, have. Totally. Yeah, uh, no. and, and, when, and also when you have somebody like Neil Gorsuch, who, I mean, look at the guy's resume. You know, undergraduate at Columbia, Harvard Law School, a doctorate at Oxford. 
I mean, I've had a chance to have a lot of smart people come, in my off, come into my office. i got to say, Neil Gorsuch, with his impeccable credentials, is probably on the very short list, one of the more intelligent people I've ever met. His intellect, as well as his kind-heartedness and his down-to-earth, I mean, this is a, a dad, a husband, a sportsman, another guy from Colorado who I can relate to as a Montanan. I think when he goes through his hearings, uh, he's going to come across very, very well. I, I, this is the kind of guy that uh, I'd like to get in my pickup. When I'm back home, I don't wear a tie. I don't wear a suit. It's my car hurt, my jeans, and my boots. And we spend time in, in uh, driving around in my pickup. Truly, this would be the kind of guy I'd love to have riding shotgun, driving him around the state, having cups of coffee with uh, Montanans. And I'll tell you what, about to a person, I think they'd say, boy, this guy is really, really smart. He's really, really thoughtful. He's mainstream. You know what? He's a kind-hearted person, and I think that's what they'd be looking for for some in the Supreme Court. So I feel like this could be relevant for the, the firing line he's going to be on in a couple of weeks at, at the hearing, but did he seem shaken at all by the fact that he's all over the news, that you look up uh, on cable and, and all you see is Gorsuch v. Trump? Did he seem shaken at all? <laughs> you know, he didn't. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, uh, it was it – was, one of those conversations that when I looked down at my uh, my phone and realized I just uh, had 60 minutes with Judge Gorsuch, it truly felt like about 15 minutes. It was very conversational, very down to earth. Uh, it was just a very much of a back and forth. I mean, I, I called him Judge Gorsuch, and it, immediately with uh, with a very kind hearted look, he said, he said, Senator, my name is Neil. Please refer to me as Neil. And I thought, gosh, this is the next Supreme Court justice. I'm the son of a Marine. I respect rank. Here's a guy who just uh, comes across like uh, somebody you'd want to have a cup of coffee with in your local coffee shop. And and in your estimation, is there anything different about his nomination today versus 24 hours ago before this news comes out and the tweets and the presidential statements and everything? Does anything change as a result of this? I I don't think so. Um, I'll tell you, I think if anything... Uh, this little back and forth that the news media is consumed with uh, as part of the you know the 24-hour news cycle, uh, I think if anything, I think it helps the case of Neil Gorsuch because it demonstrates that uh, he's an independent jurist. And don't we all want to have somebody like that? Those of us who believe in a separation of powers, that uh, uh, you want somebody who is going to. As uh, General Kelly said when he went through the process as uh, confirmation as the Secretary of Homeland Security, that the ability to speak truth to power. And uh, that, I think, in just a very small way, uh, demonstrates that. And it also, I think, demonstrates his integrity and his honesty. You know, and this little flap went around with the press. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't try to walk it back or stand. He said, yep, that's what happened. And uh, he stands by his word. That is the kind of person I'd like to see on the bench. Well, let me ask you about the underlying uh, issue with uh, with the president. I mean, what what do you make of his? He's done it many times. He did it as a candidate. Now he's done it as president of the United States, which I, I guess is is a bit different. Uh, you know, attacking a uh, a federal judge, or or in the case of the the circuit court, the uh, you know a three judge panel. Uh, you know, referring to a a federal judge as a so-called judge, weighing in the way he has publicly, uh, even before a decision has come out from the from the circuit court, does that does that give you pause? Well, I tell you, I uh, I spent 28 years in the private sector before I came to Congress. In fact, uh, I spent about 13 years with Procter and Gamble, and I uh, worked for a cloud computing company that we took public. And so my my DNA was all from the private sector and from business, and. 
we have a president that moves at the speed of business, not at the speed of government. And the American people, one thing about Donald Trump is he doesn't change his colors uh, depending on the situation. The, the Donald Trump that campaigned uh, and that the American people got to know and voted for and elected him the president, he hasn't changed from his, from his time on the campaign trail to his time now in the Oval Office. And, and there's a consistency about who he is, whether you like him or not. Donald Trump stays consistent on it, and uh, it's, it's, that's going to be who he is. And he is somebody who's not afraid to kind of break some glass, jump in there and get out in front. He's not a, somebody who politically calculates every statement, every tweet. Uh, I mean, that's obvious. And, and I think that has been certainly one of the appeals here of somebody who comes into Washington, D.C. and shakes his place up. One of the great privileges and joys of being a relatively junior member of the Senate, as you know, is you get to preside over the Senate chamber, even when it gets very late at night, because that's, <laughs> that falls to, uh, that falls to new members. And, and, and you were on the chair, as John referenced, uh, the, the other night, you were presiding yeah. as president of the Senate, uh, when Elizabeth Warren came to the floor and, uh, was, was delivering an impassioned case against Senator Jeff Sessions for Attorney General. Uh, Mitch McConnell got up, Rule 19 was invoked. Walk us through that. Did you know before Senator Warren began speaking, that uh, that the majority leader was going to invoke Rule 19? I didn't. Uh, let me just kind of tell you how that all works. So as a freshman, as you mentioned, I guess now I'm officially um, no longer a freshman. I'm a sophomore, I guess, since we're into year three. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Still first term. Uh, Is that how it works? What's that? I, 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 you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm, one of, I'm one of the new guys here, so I'm, I'm still working on the lingo. I have found the men's room. You know, beyond yeah, that, yeah. Uh, we're learning. But, but here, here's here's what happened: is that I preside on Monday nights at uh, 7:30 to 9 p.m. I preside on Tuesday nights from 6:30 p.m. to 8 p.m. And that's just the cadence of the presiding schedule. And literally, it's a very simple little spreadsheet that shows the name of the senator, the time slot, and uh, that's that's how it works. It's a shift. I love it. It is. It's it's kind of like you know covering covering the uh, you know the the order desk there at McDonald's, right? You got you got a certain time you cover the shift, and so I. Uh, and they all uh, call you Mr. President, though. I mean, it's kind of well, nice, right? Well, they do right? exactly. Well, they always say a senator looks in the mirror and sees a president. Here's an example. You know, if you're having a bad day or you know having a self-esteem issue, I guess you can always go down and preside for a few hours. But but I I, uh, I happen to also work an extra shift uh, that early morning because, as you know, we went, I think, some, was it 56 hours or 57 hours, I believe, which is a, a long streak, the second longest streak in the history of the U.S. Senate. And so I was also presiding early Tuesday morning. I had the 2 a.m. to 3.30 a.m. shift. So I, I presided on my normal uh, 7.30 to 9. I went home and caught a couple hours of sleep, set my alarm and said, oh, I hope I wake up here and got up, walked back to the Capitol and presided early morning. In fact, I took Marco Rubio's spot. I presided and then Joni Ernst came in behind me. Well, then the day transpired. I had to come back at, uh, at 6.30, which I did. And when you preside, you typically have no idea which senator is going to be down to speak. You don't know if it's going to be Republicans or Democrats. Now, in this particular moment, the Democrats kind of had control of the time on the floor, so I knew it was going to be just Democratic senators. But I did not know Elizabeth Warren was going to be speaking until I, I think I just recognized Senator Cardin, if I sort of remember this right. And, and uh, 
Senator Warren's desk is directly to my to the right of the presiding chair, I mean, way off to the right. So you can't she's typically not in your field of view and you're looking straight forward. And suddenly I heard her voice. She said, Mr. President. So I turned and said, oh, there's Senator Warren. And I said, the senator from Massachusetts, that's how you do it when you're presiding over the Senate. So um, this notion that somehow this was uh, predetermined, orchestrated, I can tell you, I did not know Senator Warren was going to speak until she said, Mr. President. So I recognized her. And then, of course, the rest uh, rest transpired. But but so you you, you called her out. Uh can you, I mean, it's just I think it's odd to a lot of, a lot of folks watching at home why, uh, you know, I mean, the, the idea of a senator being silenced on the floor. I mean, it's, it obviously it's been played out to be maybe more dramatic uh, uh, than, than than it was. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, what what the heck's the harm in having her read that letter? And yeah. And, and, and by silencing her, didn't you just create a, 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 a hero on the left? And Lord knows if she had gone on and read that. Nobody would have even noticed, except for those that were happy to be tuned into to C-SPAN at the time. And now, you know, it's become this this huge cause, and and you know, we we can all cite that letter, chapter, and verse. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say this is it. Uh, there wasn't some kind of political calculation looking at it. Uh, you look at the rules. Uh, Rule 19, frankly, is pretty clear. And and, and it wasn't just, I I know there was a lot made about that amazing civil rights activist, Coretta Scott King, and what she did and what she stood for. She was an amazing, amazing leader in the civil rights movement. But uh, but keep in mind, um, there were other comments that were building that Senator Warren had used. Uh, She had used some words from Ted Kennedy saying that uh, Jeff Sessions was a disgrace to his race. Uh, he was a throwback to a shameful era. These were the words that then started to flag the Rule 19 concern. So th- that's what set this up. I know everybody talks about the quoting Coretta Scott King, but you go back to some of these very inflammatory words, impugning words in the opinion of the chair. And and before, as we start to look at this, I was under consultation with the parliamentarian. You know, Elizabeth McDonald is the first woman ever appointed to be the parliamentarian of the United States Senate. Uh, as you look at Rule 19, it says that no senator in debate shall directly or indirectly, so that means it's uh, if you quote somebody else and impugn someone's character, uh, that falls under Rule 19. So this was not done in any flippant kind of fashion. Uh, I consulted at length with um, with the parliamentarian because obviously they have more experience on this than I do on it. But ultimately the chair has to make the ruling and it didn't matter if it was a man or a woman who was a Democrat or Republican, if it was uh, somebody from Massachusetts, Montana, Idaho, or New Hampshire, uh, at some point, I think the rules need to apply. And, and this goes for both sides of the aisle. There are, there are plenty of cases where Republicans should be held accountable to Rule 19, as well as Democrats. And ultimately, we need to restore uh, civility uh, to this body. It's considered the greatest deliberative body in the world. It's unfortunate when the temperatures rise, they get to the point where a father or mother might say, hey, kids, we better turn the channel from the C-SPAN because there may be something that's not appropriate to hear. But but if I can just follow up, the, the, the thing is, he is senator, or he was uh, mm-hmm. a senator, uh, mm-hmm. now he's the attorney general. Um, but he, the, the debate was about President Trump's nominee to be attorney general. Mm-hmm. If, if it had been any other cabinet post, 
or if he had not been a senator that had been nominated to be attorney general, Rule 19 doesn't apply, right? It only applies that, because that, he was that, a senator. That is correct. So, so that's, yeah, that's exactly I, I don't what, get that. Yeah. Why, why, why during the course of a debate? I mean, isn't, isn't he in a different category now? You're not debating the merits of Jeff Sessions' senator. You're, 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 you're debating the merits of the nominee for attorney general. Why should there be a different different set of rules governing what can be said about him than what could be said about, you know, Rex Tillerson for Secretary of State, for example. Well, well, that, that's a question going back to the rule. And if the Senate decides they want to change the rule uh, by a two-thirds majority, they can change the rules. But you start looking at it, if you're an umpire uh, umping a strike zone, you go by what's in the rule. And, uh, and, and if we want to change the rules, that is the Senate's prerogative to do that. But that, that, is, that is where I stand. And here, here's the irony behind all this, too. Uh, if you listen to Jeff Sessions' farewell speech last night, and, and, and I think that there were a couple of class acts that occurred yesterday on the Senate floor. I know um, the Democrats during the campaign said, uh, they go low and we go high. Well, let me say, I thought our folks went high as maybe our friends across the aisle were sometimes going low. But if you saw Tim Scott's speech, uh, it was incredible about how Tim and Jeff Sessions went down to Charleston together as they fought together here on, uh, with uh, civil rights issues, defending the black community. Uh, it was a very, very moving speech. I think it was only fitting at the end of this rather cantankerous debate for the next attorney general, it's only fitting that Tim Scott stood up and defended Jeff Sessions. And then at the very end, after we approved uh, and confirmed Jeff Sessions, he took the floor. And we listened to Jeff. And you know how he closed his remarks? He closed his remarks telling a story about how he and Ted Kennedy joined forces and passed a prison reform piece of legislation. And so not only were the words that Senator Warren used, I think, in violation of Rule 19, but if you look at the spirit of it, you know, Ted Kennedy, these are quotes going back to like 1986 or something. It, when you hear the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say, there was a reconciliation between Ted Kennedy and Jeff Sessions. And I can't speak for Ted Kennedy, but I would just imagine he would look at that today and say, you know what, I had that view of Jeff Sessions back then, but today uh, I'm a friend of Jeff Sessions, and I think he'd take a lot of those words back. And just, just one more point on this, and we know you have yeah. to go, but Senator, appreciate it. But we're in the age of President Donald Trump. And again, whether you voted for him or not, you you have to concede that he insults people on a pretty direct, uh, pretty in a pretty regular basis. Yeah, is there is there any consideration that th- we're in a new normal right now? I mean, by the by this Trump standard, what Senator Warren did, reading other people's quotes about a fellow senator in the capacity as Attorney General, it just doesn't even begin on to register to me, at least on the outrage meter, compared to what Donald Trump does on a random Tuesday. So, so I think ultimately. Ultimately, we are all accountable for what we each say individually and how we conduct ourselves. Uh, there are rules for the United States Senate, uh, and, and so we are held accountable to that standard. Uh, I think for Republicans, for Democrats, whether it's the executive branch, the judicial branch, the legislative branch, uh, I, I think there should be a call to turn the temperature down a little bit, uh, to restore civility and statesmanship, no matter what you believe, and this doesn't in no way suggest we can't have spirited uh, and um, and direct 
confrontation on issues. That's the nature of politics. In fact, somebody told me one time that politics is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And that's the way it's always has been and should be. But let's let's draw some lines here. When you start to impugn the character of another person, uh, I find that is not the right path to take. And uh, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, truly, when somebody goes low, both sides ought to go high. I, I think we ought to hold ourselves to that standard. All right, Senator Steve Daines from the great state of Montana, thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate your time and hope to have you back on, uh, back on the podcast soon. All right, thanks for having me. All Thank right, you, Senator. Care. You bet. Bye-bye. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk to the great Terry Moran, uh, ABC's uh, – is he the chief foreign correspondent, um, Rick? Chief sounds about right. That's about he's, right. He's also our Supreme Court guy. Yes, and, and, and we're going to talk about the Supreme Court because I'll tell you, I, I know few people who can talk more convincingly uh, and with more apparent knowledge about the court than Mr. Moran. Hey, this is Rick. We've got a new podcast to tell you about. It is No Limits with ABC News Chief Business, Technology, and Economics Correspondent Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, she sits down with the most influential women in business and entertainment to find out what's been the key to their success. Again, that's No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Find it wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Now, back to the show. Joining us now, the great Terry Moran, uh, of course, uh, ABC's uh, foreign correspondent uh, in charge of all things globally, but also our greatest legal mind. <laughs> no, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if that's a huge compliment. Uh, well, there's not a lot of competition, to be fair, <laughs> on uh, Justice, on. Justice Moran. Um, so um, I, I know you're, you're going to be over here uh, when we get uh, some confirmation hearings, I assume, uh, going for, uh, for, for Neil Gorsuch. Yep. But you're following the, the initial uh, back and forth. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we, we've had this great dust up over whether or not um, the president was happy with what uh, with what Neil Gorsuch said about uh, <laughs> about the way he's beat up judges. Um, that's a bit of a sideshow. The, 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 the real question is, is how independent looking at Gorsuch's uh, background and his opinions and his writings, as I know you have, how how independent a justice would he be on the Supreme Court? Well, it always takes a justice a couple, three years, even veteran appeals court just judges. When they get up to the Supreme Court, they get the hardest possible cases, which is not the case when you're down even on a federal appeals court. So uh, many of the justices that I've heard speak uh, talk about those first couple of rookie years as just like the mountain falling on you. Uh, you realize the responsibility. The questions are profound and complex, even in cases that we, you know, we don't even cover. And so they, they take a little while to find their footing, most of them. Uh, that said, everyone who knows Neil Gorsuch, and if you look at his writings, as I have done, it's a pleasure. Everybody says he's a fine writer, and he is. Uh, this is a guy who has a method of approach, and he will follow that method. That's his guarantee of independence. Look, uh, Justice Scalia is the God, was the godfather and the really the great American legal prophet of originalism and textualism. But there were times when he was, you know, he'd use it when he wanted to in some ways. Uh, that, that said, I think Neil Gorsuch is, is going to be even more uh, of an adherent to where that sense, what did the original Constitution mean in this way? What does the text of the law actually say? And he'll follow that. And by the way, while I, I, I said that about Justice Scalia, uh, Justice Scalia said his favorite Supreme Court opinion of all time, you know, wasn't 
uh, anyone that you'd expect. It was it was the one against the internment of Japanese citizens uh, that was written by uh, Justice Robert Jackson that stood up to power, stood up to executive power, uh, and and in a very eloquent fashion. And Scalia said that's what justices are for. So I, I think you could see just as Scalia had some surprises in him. Look, he's a conservative judge, but I don't think he's going to be any any formulaic judge at all. And you've covered the White House as well, and you've covered Supreme Court battles from the White House perch. Did it surprise you at all to hear uh, Gorsuch had said what he said about Trump's comments on judges uh, in, in, in that meeting with Blumenthal? Now we know in meetings with other senators. Did it, did it, did it surprise you at all? It did. When I, when I looked at the context, I think he had, the senators wanted to press him on what they feel is President Trump crossing the line uh, and attacking a specific judge and attacking the judicial system in general. And they wanted to press him on that. And in response, as the White House describes it, he says, you know, those attacks, those kinds of attacks are disheartening and demoralizing. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, the independence of the judiciary is a cornerstone of the freedom of the, of, of the United States. Decisional independence uh, as the term goes, it means uh, when the judges are making a decision, leave them alone. If you're the local prosecutor, leave them alone. If you're the district attorney, leave them alone. If you're the governor, leave them alone. If you're the president of the United States, when they're making their decision, leave them alone. That's the tradition. Now, President Obama violated that tradition pretty richly in the o- Obamacare cases, but most presidents have, have adhered to that. And I think what, what Judge Gorsuch was saying was, you know, this is this is bad for, for, for the judiciary when, when this happens. Terry, what does it actually mean to have Gorsuch out there making this statement about judicial independence? Does it impact his ability to rule impartially on, on any uh, on any case? Does it does it impact other than Trump's tweet thumbs and does it have any meaning legally? For him to opine on the importance of an independent judiciary and his state, stating that he has that he personally seems offended by uh, by this, does it does it have any ultimate meaning or is it just noise? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I don't think so. We we've gotten so used to nominees to the Supreme Court ever since Robert Bork, uh, you know, who came to the hearings having published and written and spoken so much about the law. He says, "I'm just going to defend what I said." And he lost. And ever since then, no one says anything except, you know, basically the vaguest, most anodyne things. And I think there will be an effort to press Gorsuch a little bit more. One of the reasons they don't say anything is precisely so that they aren't seen as making a promise, because they'll want to look at the case that comes before them. This judicial independence is such a general topic, I don't think it'll bind him at all when he gets up there. And and I want to circle in this argument uh, or the the broader issue now we have with the with the immigration executive order with that travel ban that partial travel ban temporary ban, and we're now we're now stuck in the Ninth Circuit. And Donald Trump has talked about why this even a high school student a bad high school student would have figured this out by now. What's taking so long? What's taking so long? That piece of it to have a president opining in that way is that putting his finger on the scales of justice? Is that alarming to? to judges and to the judiciary that you have, the head of the executive branch, putting that kind of public pressure? Uh, yes, although the federal judges have life tenure. The founders, in their wisdom, gave them life tenure so that they can get screamed at by presidents or governors or anybody, and it, it shouldn't matter. But, yes, it concerns them, because the public 
needs to respect the judiciary. Uh, Remember, they have no means to enforce their decisions except their own credibility, except public trust, right? Uh, When the court desegregated the country, when they ended uh, Jim Crow, uh, Earl Warren, who was the chief justice at the time, knew he had to get a unanimous court because if he did one dissent, there'd there'd be a a reason for the public not to go along. And it was hard enough for a lot of people in, in the United States to go along with those decisions. And I think that a president attacking the court the court system, specific judges like that is not good. And I will say, I didn't like it when Obama did it, when he castigated the Supreme Court who was sitting at the, at the State of the Union address, and even more so when the case of King versus Burwell, which was the second challenge to the Affordable Care Act, was, was made. And he said something very Trumpian. He said, frankly, I don't think they should have even taken up this case. And only a contorted reading of the statute could, could reach the, that, that decision. And if they play it straight... I'm not sure we'll Trump, you know, I, I don't know if I could imagine Donald Trump using the word contort. <laughs> <laughs> okay, different vocabulary, different syntax, but the same kind yeah. of, you know, leaning on, on, on the court in a way that, that probably is not, is not healthy. You go back and you look at what presidents have said about, the, about courts and judges. Ronald Reagan, who was a ferocious, you know, uh, political person, a successful governor of California and president, a staunch Republican and conservative, you look at what he said about the Supreme Court and about the courts in general, profound deference. Richard Nixon, who got thrown out of office basically by the courts in, on the tapes in private, he, was, he was said some horrid things. But as president, he was very careful. He was a graduate of Duke Law School. He was very careful about, about uh, maligning the courts. This is, if this is now a tradition, Obama did it, Trump did it, it's a bad tradition. So, uh, Terry, I, when, when we get closer to the, uh, the actual confirmation hearings, I, I, I mean, we're going to want you to come back and give us a little tutorial on Chevron deference uh, <laughs> and, and how that all plays. But, but one question before you go on an entirely different topic uh, from your perch over there in London. Um, as, as I understand it, our, our British friends um, are, are not that enthusiastic about the impending visit of, uh, of Donald Trump, not yet scheduled, but the invitation has been given and accepted. What's going to happen? Is Trump actually going to make this trip uh, uh, to, to the United Kingdom? Is he going to be welcomed? Is he going is, is to visit the parliament? Is he going to speak before the parliament? I mean, what, what, what's going to happen? Yeah, well, one thing I would say is, is the noisemakers are always the ones who get attention. And there are people who, understandably, Trump is a disruptor. He's a disruptor of politics, as usual, and that has people up in arms uh, all over the world. And there are people who are very upset at, at him here, and they've, they've signed, millions of them have signed a petition to keep him out of the United Kingdom. That's not going to happen. Trump will visit the, the United Kingdom, and uh, most people here, I would say that, that quiet middle that's the crucial constituency in any democracy, right? They're the people who aren't noisemakers. They recognize the value of the uni- alliance with the United States. Plenty of them like them. You know, they, they just did Brexit here, which was a similarly populist and nationalist thing. So he, he's not by any means universally unpopular, but certainly the, the, the parliament, a lot of people in parliament will have trouble with him. He won't be able to speak in parliament in the traditional place, Westminster Hall, because the Speaker of the House of Commons is one of the two, three people who decide who gets to speak there, says he opposes it. But there are other places. And how right? unusual is that for, for a new president to make the first trip over there and not, and not speak? Uh, very few presidents actually speak to Parliament. Oh. Obama did, Clinton did, 
I'm not even sure Reagan did. I, uh, yes, Reagan did, but neither one of the Bushes did. So it's a rare honor that is afforded. They do it only once every five to ten years does a foreign head of state uh, address the parliament here. So it would be unusual for him to get it on his first, on his first visit. Uh, you know, maybe farther down the line, uh, the, the, the people will view him differently. But I, I think it's more, look, there's a passion here, just as there is in the United States. But look, he's the president of the United States. He's coming to visit. He's going he's gonna to speak to the people of Britain. All right, Terry Moran, I know you'll be there unless you're here, but wherever you are, you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> I will. All right, thank you for joining us. Right. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Terry. Great stuff. All right, Rick, and that is it for powerhouse politics. We got to get back to work. I mean, the oh. incoming is is, is still coming. Uh, thank you for listening. Remember, just subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. David Ryan knows the places. If you have any questions, you can ask him. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. We'll get back to you next week. Yeah.